Uh, my name is Bruce O'Neill, and uh, I get the opportunity to open uh, the word to us. And we are studying Mark's uh, gospel, and we're in the fourth chapter. Uh, and so if you can find your way to the end of the fourth chapter around uh, verse 35. You know, the known often, the unknown often scares us to death. Things that we don't understand, things we can't perceive, things that we don't um, understand. And even sometimes things we do know scare us. And I think if we listen to our, the people of our city, the people in our country, the people in our world, we hear a lot of fear. And I think if we listen to each other, we also hear a lot of fear in our own hearts. The good news is that Jesus has a lot to say to us this morning about fear and ultimately about faith, the antidote to fear. And so uh, the disciples here can really identify with those who are afraid. And so we're going to read the word of the Lord here in Mark uh, 4:35 to the end of the chapter, and you might have noticed that I'm taking it out of order. Well, hopefully by the end of the message, you will understand. Hear the word of the Lord. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. And leaving uh, the crowd, they took him with them in a boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? May God help us to understand this, his word, and just as importantly, live in light of its reality. Jesus has had a hard day of ministry by the time we read verse 35. It began with accusations of blasphemy. His own family come to him and try to uh, kidnap him and drag him off back home to Nazareth because they think he's lost his mind. This is the same day that crowds have begun to push in on him and almost crush him in their hopes of getting a healing that they heard that Jesus can do. As evening is approached, he is exhausted from ministry. In fact, if we had time, we could look at the, the original language and it all has verbs of urgency about them. He's not just getting into the boat because it's the next thing. He's getting into the boat because if he doesn't get into the boat, there may not be anything left of him to give away. And so he steals himself away with his disciples on a boat And we find him in the boat at some point, just as those waves began uh, to rock. You know how it is when you're tired and the waves are rocking. 
you began to fall asleep. And he does sleep on a cushion, even though he is being surrounded by a flotilla of smaller boats, of all of these crowds that crammed into these little boats to follow him across this five-mile lake to the other side. And then suddenly a storm arises as it often does. Uh, The lake there in Galilee is surrounded by mountains and these mountains form like a funnel that come when wind uh, comes over them. It begins to gather them like a garden hose. When you uh, hold the end of it, it puts pressure. That's what happens to the winds as it goes through these mountains. And so on this lake, a great wind which might have been a small wind at its start, now is blowing and the waves are getting high and rocking the boat and filling the boat with water. And it scares these skilled, experienced uh, sailors who were fishermen enough to wake him. But I don't want us to miss this first principle that this text teaches us. And that is that storms are often necessary for transformation. We tend to think that we grow apart from storms. If all this story is, is a physical storm, which it is. But if that's all it is, we'll miss its transformational message to everybody in this world. And that is that storms are often necessary for change to occur. Without storms, we don't grow. We wish we could grow without them. We beg God not to send storms that we might grow. But the truth be told, sanctification by affliction seems to be the best way we do grow. So let's see what God has to say about fear and faith from the text. Obviously, first, fear, because faith is its antidote. Our fear... We feel is irrational, but it is not. Nor is our fear unexpected when we are in personal storms. Notice that the disciples are scared twice, not once. They're scared in the midst of the storm. You see that in verses 37 and 38, where he says, A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a cushion. They woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care? I'm sure they didn't use this uh, phlegmatic laid back tone of voice. It would have been a scream. Don't you care that we are perishing? But there's also another fear that they have. And this one will surprise you. It is after the storm has been calmed. You see that beginning in verse uh, 39. And he woke and he rebuked the wind and and he said to the sea, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who's in this boat with us? That even the wind obeys him. You see, the reason that they're afraid the second time is no longer about the storm. It's who is in the boat with them. 
we see a beautiful picture of Jesus here that often is missed. And that is a beautiful picture of a sleeping Jesus. We don't see that very often in the Bible. In fact, this is one of the very few occasions we see Jesus asleep. The wind is pounding the boat. The waves are filling the boat. And where is Jesus? He's on a cushion asleep. This picture should have comforted them to know that Jesus, the one they've been following, can sleep in the midst of a storm, should have brought them comfort. If he's not worried, why are we? If he's not afraid, why are we scared? But instead of bringing them comfort, they're even more afraid because they know he can do something about it. And if he sleeps, he might sleep through the moment to save them. And so they wake him. In fact, our text says that they are angry with a sleeping Jesus. Don't you care? We're perishing. We who know Jesus most still get scared. We can at least admit that. I know here's the beauty of church. The only one that gets to admit it is the guy that's up front. And everybody else in the room gets a pass. Because nobody is saying, okay, it's your turn. You ever get scared? Tell us. When was the last time you were scared? Did, did you get angry at God too? Did you blaspheme God the last time you got scared? No, that would make church uncomfortable and then nobody would be here next week. So we just leave it to the preacher. God's people are familiar with the feeling of fear. And to ask God to wake up to our personal storms is common among us. And often we don't have a theology of storms. We don't have God in the storm. We have God over the storm. We never have God with us in the storm. We have God over the storm who can end the storm. And yet this God is in the storm. And because he's been in the storm with us, he's big enough to hear our fears. He will not condemn you because you're afraid. He's not going to be disappointed because you're scared. The Psalms most of the Psalms are a collection of prayers about fear. Why is God not disappointed with us? Because we get so scared. When the known and the unknown rises and it looks like we're not going to survive. Well, he's not disappointed because he loves us. And that love is a deep unbreakable love that storms cannot end. If God cannot break his own love, then there is nothing that he has create, created that can stop his love as well. You ever think about that? That God's love is unbreakable. In fact, God would have to cease to be God to stop loving you. And if he can't stop his love, if he can't break his promises, 
then nothing he has created can either, including the storms in our lives. This love sometimes calms the storm, just like this chapter says it does. But sometimes, and we don't like this part, let's admit that too. Sometimes his love remains with us in the boat in the midst of the storm. That is, he doesn't stop the storm, at least not yet. Sometimes it's more important to remain in the storm than for him to end the storm. Because his goal is to transform us into the image of Christ and sometimes his means to do transformational change is through bringing storms and staying with us through the storm. This is counterintuitive to us, isn't it? We don't feel that way because we rescue our children. We, who are God's children, want to be rescued too. At least we defined rescuing that way. They don't want wake Jesus because they have faith in Jesus. They wake Jesus because they're afraid. It is out of fear. You know that saying that we have that misery likes company. That's why they wake Jesus. Jesus, do you not know you're even perishing? You don't know it because you're what? Asleep. When Jesus wakes, he sees their fear in their hearts and he moves toward them. I wonder sometimes, do we move toward people who are afraid or do we move away from people who are afraid? The opposite of fear is not doubt. The opposite of fear is faith. Because it is faith that is the antidote to fear. Verse 40. Do you still have no faith? Now this is Peter talking to John Mark. Because when Matthew and Luke record this. They don't say you, do you still have no faith. They say you of what? Little faith. You see Matthew and Luke soften it a little bit. And say they've got a little bit of faith, they just don't have enough faith. But when Peter tells the story, Peter exposes everything. We had no faith. None. That's what I love about Peter. The sin is always worse than when Matthew or Luke tell it. We have no faith. And fear will grow in us wherever faith is weak. So why is our faith weak? It is because we don't believe that Jesus can or will do something about our personal storms. We don't believe that Jesus can and will do something about our personal storms. So we do one of two things when we don't believe there's a rescue coming. We either rescue ourselves, or at least attempt to, try to control ourselves, or we give up. We resign. We do uh, what the possum does. We roll over and play dead. And hopefully, what is coming to threaten us will leave us alone. 
when God is asking you, just have faith in me. Even in the midst of your fear. You see, regardless of their fears, Jesus moves into our personal storms. He asks us to have faith in him, not a super faith. God is not asking us to have faith that uh, gets remarked in Hebrews 11, these great cloud of witnesses. If we had time, we look at these great cloud of witnesses and we would find that they had feet of clay. But they all struggled with sin. They didn't just sin, they sinned gloriously. And yet they are called our cloud of witnesses of people who have faith. He's not asking for super faith. He's asking just enough faith of a mustard seed that can move a mountain. Because it is not the amount of faith that you have that matters. It's the object of your faith that only matters. When you think about your faith, you think of it as in strong and weak. And God looks at it as who's your object? Is it you? Is it your church? Is it your bank account? Is it your retirement fund? Is it your children? Where have you placed your faith? And here's the thing. It's not like we are exclusive faith givers. We spread it around. Why? Because we believe in diversification of a portfolio of faith. How do you like that, Keith? We have taken the idea of spreading our retirement through a diversification of portfolio in case the stock market goes bad. At least we've got bonds. And so in case God doesn't come through like we want him to come through, we still have our skill set. We still have our friends. We've placed our faith in other things. And Jesus is... Don't you have faith in me? If you have faith in me, you don't need faith in anyone else. Because the only one that can truly rescue you from your personal storms is me. Why? Why can he claim exclusivity to our faith? Why can he say diversification of faith is sinful? Sorry, Keith. Why does he think that if you diversify your faith, that that is wrong and unhelpful? Because he's the Lord of the storm. No one and nothing else is the Lord of your storms, my storms. You and I have to have this admission before we can receive the rescue is that we've got fear. And too often we act out of our fears, don't we? It's the cause of our hiding from one another. It's the cause that we blame others for the condition that we're in. It's the reason that we manipulate the circumstances in in order to have our own rescue. It's the reason that we try to control. It is simply because we're afraid. I think at the heart of man, its greatest struggle is fear. It is why we do what we do. If we go deep enough into any of our struggles, any of our storms, at the heart of it will be our fear. And Jesus says, you want the antidote to that, 
you have to look to me and trust me. And sometimes I'll lift you above the storm. And sometimes I'll just end the storm. I'll just comment with my words. But other times I'm going to have you sail through the storm with me to the other side. I'm never getting out of the boat with you. We don't like the last because we want it to end. It's so painful. It hurts so much that we want out of the storm when all that God really wants is us. And it just seems like the only time we will run to him is when we are scared. And so he has to promise us over and over again throughout scripture. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God would have to cease to be God to abandon us, to leave us, to forsake us. Father, we thank you that you deeply love us, love us enough to bring in storms into our lives to, through those storms, to change us. And so we find ourselves this morning bringing into the loop the people of our church, the people who love you and are cared for by you and call this home in many, for many decades. And so we ask you to be in the, to the boat with us, to guide us, to direct us, and if necessary, to calm the storm. But hopefully, Father, as you take us to the other side, which we have no idea what that'll look like. We know that one thing will be the same, you. And so we ask you to minister to us, love us, care for us, particularly the one who has been charged to lead, who is as broken as everyone else. And Father, we pray that you might heal us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.